Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. All right. Matthew 9, 18 through 26. There it says, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through and the report of this went through all that district. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. God's word says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's, let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we need help this morning by your spirit, um, understanding your word. And Father, if we're honest, we need help this morning seeing the importance of your word um, in our lives, um, in our morning today. uh, We need uh, your help seeing that um, your your word is is not um, inactive, but it is is active. Um, It's it's working in us. You speaking through your word um, shapes us, forms us, um, calls us. And, and so, Lord, we, we need your help. We need your help to, to hear your word, to understand your word, uh, and, and then simply to submit to your word um, as, as our authority. Um, in a world um, that questions authority, um, in a world that calls into question um, the authority of, of the word and of, of our God. Um, and so, Lord, we need your help in this time. Um, thank you for it. Thank you for the grace that you show us through your word. Thank you for the grace that you show us um, in hearing your word with one another. Um, Lord, we, we may study your word um, individually, um, and we also are able to study your word as a body. And so we thank you for that, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. It's very good to be, y'all can have a seat. It's very good to be back um, this morning in Matthew chapter uh, 9, and um, have really enjoyed hearing from Jordan and Thomas over the last couple of weeks, and uh, very grateful for um, just their, their willingness to, to use their, their gift and their, their calling uh, to build us up as God's people. Um, and so, hey, today is a, this account in the Bible. Um, this, is, this, this part is not part of my notes, and so you, it's already going to be a long day, right? You're like, oh, man, this is going to be a long day. So this part's not part of my notes, but what we're gonna, one thing that we see in this text that's not front and center, um, and I really just kind of want to share as, a, as an aside um, and, but I don't want us to see it as insignificant, um, is that, that Jesus displays here that uh, he is willing to be interrupted. Um, Jesus is, is kind of on his way um, to, to help someone who's asked for help, and um, someone 
comes to him, as we'll see, and, and really just kind of interrupts Jesus. Um, and so I don't, I don't know what all applications to draw from that other than, um, as I shared a couple weeks ago, I, I pray that we would be a people who are willing to be interrupted, um, a people who are willing to be interrupted. And so whether that means in our time, of, time that we gather in worship, um, and again, interrupt kind of has this negative connotation, doesn't it? And really don't view it as that. Um, that. That really that God is not only a God who's willing to be, from our standpoint, interrupted, but that we would be a people who would be willing to be interrupted. Uh, maybe you have your ideas of how a particular day ought to go or how a particular meeting ought to go. Um, and really what I'm talking about in this context is in prayer, um, that, that we would be willing to allow prayer uh, to interrupt our time. Prayer should never be viewed as, as a negative interruption, right? Um, but that we would be willing and open and ready to say, Lord, would you just show us? Would you lead us? Um, and so I'm, I'm just going to say now, there, there will be times today that um, a little bit of planned interruption that during, our, during this, this sermon that I'm going to share with you that we will actually stop and pray for a couple of things. And so uh, Matthew 9, 18 through 26, um, Matthew chapters 8 and 9 um, as we have seen, shows us a series of, of interactions um, that, that prove to us the authority of Jesus, okay? Hopefully, we have not failed on our, uh, on our goal of um, presenting to you, as Matthew presents, that Jesus has authority, um, that Jesus is the authoritative one. And so it's an authority that, that people had a great sense of when he finished his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So you go back to chapter 7, verse 28, and, and you see that they were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not like their scribes. And so we see that they had a great sense of this authority when he was finished teaching in the response that they give to his wonderful words of, of, of Jesus. And so now in these two chapters, chapters eight and nine, we are seeing authority not in the wonderful words of Jesus, though they're certainly there, but we are seeing the authority of Jesus play itself out through his wonderful works, right? He's performing many great miracles and works. And so as we will see today, wonderful is exactly what these works of Jesus are, amen? I mean, like, I really just hope we can kind of just like, you know, um, I don't know, not, not formalize overly the text here, but really just kind of sit under the, the power and the grace that Jesus is showing to people, uh, the power and the grace that he is displaying. And so he is gracious and authoritative is what Jesus is, but authoritative is not all that these works are. They're not less than that, but they are more than that. And so if we have an accurate view of, of, all, of all that the Gospels portray Jesus as, we will see that Jesus is driven by great love, he is driven by great care, and he's driven by great concern. Um, in fact, he tells us in Luke 19.10 that, that why he came was to seek and to save the lost. Um, in, in, in chapter 9, verse 13, he says, I came not to call the righteous but sinners. And then Matthew wraps up this chapter, not, uh, verse 36. Let's just, it's, since, since you're on the page where that's at, let's read 36. When he saw the crowds, what does it say? He had great compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep 
without a shepherd. And so Matthew is showing us that Jesus is an authoritative, loving shepherd. And as we will see in a really profound way today, a, a authoritative, loving shepherd who is both able and who is willing. A shepherd who is both able and willing. Can I just say that Jesus is not begrudging in his grace to you? Let me say that again. Jesus is not begrudging in his grace to you. Um, the, the, the Bible, if we understand the Bible correctly, the Bible will tell us that, that Jesus is more ready to extend grace than we are even to receive it. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times where I'm very, very eager and, and needy and aware of my need for grace, right? Um, and, and I could tell you in those moments, I need a lot of grace. Can I just tell you that in those moments, what, what, the, what the scriptures teach us is that Jesus is more ready and willing and able to extend that grace than we are to even call out for it, that we are, that, that we are to even receive it. And so we see these two things in a profound way today, both the ability of Jesus, really we could just kind of call that his authority, but we talked a lot about authority. We want to keep that theme going. We don't want to shy away from the authority of Jesus, but really in this text, we see the ability of Jesus and this, you ready for it? This is really catchy, the approachability of Jesus. So he's both able and he's approachable, right? So there you, that's like, if that ain't a good two-point alliterated sermon, I don't know what is. Uh, that, that Jesus is both able and approachable. And so I really want us to see these things. Let's read this text together again. Um, we're we're going to read the whole thing. Um, it says this, while he was saying these things to them, these things being the things that the, the, the letters some of you haven't read right before that, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, if any of you want, here's just a, a, a little tip real quick. Um, if any of you want to read some more extended um, commentary on this, this story, you can find it in Mark 5 and in Luke 8. So if you're taking notes or if you make cross-references in your Bible, or your Bible has cross-references, you can read more extended accounts of this story in, in Mark 5 and in Luke 8. And so in Mark 5 and Luke 8, those accounts tell us that this man's name is Jairus or Jairus, I don't, however you want to say that. Let, let's just say, hey, no matter how smart people are, nobody really knows how to say these names, okay? I, you might pretend like Beelzebul, you know, nobody really knows, and it's okay. Um, and so Jairus, Jairus, J, call him, call, him, call him what you will, but that's who we are told this man is. Um, in, in these two other accounts. We don't see that here. So in verse 19, it says, And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went all through that district. And so it is the profound ability and authority of Jesus that we have seen on display 
over and over again in these two chapters. And so beginning at the beginning of chapter eight, Jesus has the ability and the authority to heal. He has the ability and the authority to call people to himself. He has the ability and the authority to still the seas and quiet the wind. Who can, uh, the, the disciples when they're in the boat says, um, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? And remember, Psalms tells us who it is that has control over the winds and the seas. And so Jesus has the ability to still the seas and quiet the wind. He has the ability and authority to cast out demons. He has the authority and the ability to forgive people's sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus says, that's me. Jesus has the ability and the authority to claim deity, which I think is is somewhat of the message of the section before this when he's talking about fasting. They ask him, why do your disciples fast? And, and, and Jesus makes sure that they know fasting, as Thomas shared with us last week, fasting is a way in which we long for the presence of God. And Jesus is saying, the presence of God is with you. The presence of God is here in me. I am him. And so he has the ability to claim this kind of deity. And then today we see that Jesus has the authority over death. When, we, when we're talking about the authority of Jesus, that he has the authority um, uh, and the ability over death. And so chapter eight opens with this leper. If you remember the story of the leper, opens with the story of the leper. He claims the ability of Jesus to heal. What does the leper say? He says, if you will, you can. The leper is professing the ability that Jesus has and the authority that Jesus has to do such wonderful works. And so we see several instances throughout these chapters where great faith is connected to confidence in the ability of God to do what is being asked. You see that? We see that there is a great faith connected to confidence in the ability of God to do what he says. By the way, we need to, we need to understand this too. We also see the ability of Jesus to do great works despite little or no faith, right? See how all throughout the scriptures, that hey, God doesn't always operate on how great or little your faith is. Sometimes he operates and acts in spite of those things, amen? But we're gonna see that great faith in this context, in this text, is commended many times by the Lord. Uh, we're gonna discuss that in just a bit. Um, so, so <coughs> excuse me, drink too much coffee. And these two, uh, here we have two approaches to Jesus. So Jesus is approachable, amen? Jesus is approachable. Here we have two approaches to Jesus with some measure of faith and likely a great measure of vulnerability. And so if you notice, it's almost as if this account contains parentheses, right? So so the synagogue ruler comes to Jesus and asks him to help. And so Jesus sets out on his way. And then Matthew kind of inserts this additional miracle story into it. Um, That's unlike anything that Matthew's done so far. Uh, He typically kind of shares us shares with us a sequence of stories. In this story and in Mark and Luke, we see that as Jesus is on his way to deal with this leader's daughter, that he stops and he interacts with this woman. And so if this section were like the others, we would have the approach of Jairus, the response of Jesus, and then the miraculous work. But that's not what we get. And this account is not like the others. In fact, there's two characters present here that approach Jesus, one with prominence, Do you see that? One likely with prominence and affluence, Jairus, and the other with literally nothing. We don't even know her name. In none of the accounts, 
far as, as far as I know, someone correct me if I'm wrong, in none of the accounts are we told what this woman's name is. We're told who Jairus is. We're told that he's a synagogue leader. And then what we're told about the woman and Mark is that she has spent all of her money, and Mark says, and is none the better for it. She has spent all of her money on physicians and is none the better. And so one of these characters is a ruler and the other with no standing, but they both, with a level of confidence shown in how they approach Jesus, profess to to their faith in Jesus' ability to intervene by healing and resurrecting. And so that's, again, the angle of the authority of Jesus that we see today is that Jesus has authority over death. Hey, uh, real quick, you know that this isn't the only place in the Gospels where we see that Jesus has authority over death, right? Anybody, anybody know where else he shows his authority over death? Lazarus. There you go. That's the, that's, the, that's the big one right there. This isn't the only resurrection that happens, is it? Um, it's not the only resurrection that happened in the Gospels, and it's not the only resurrection that we'll ever experience and be part of. We too, Christians, will one day be raised to life with Christ. Spiritually, we have been, but death is not the end. So we see that the great authority and ability of Jesus in this text to be touched by, I mean, this is, this is astounding if, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament. And so Jesus has authority over death, but he also has authority over all things. And he shows that in that, in this text, um, Jesus was not rendered ceremonially unclean and not made unclean by being touched by this woman. Leviticus 15, it, it specifically talks about these kinds of instances with, with women and this issue of blood, that if there, if there is contact made that not only she, but those around her are, are unclean. And so Jesus shows his authority over all things by not being made unclean, even though he's touched by one who was rendered unclean. We see the great authority and the ability of Jesus to touch the corpse of a dead girl and not be rendered unclean, as Luke, uh, Leviticus 21 would talk about. So Jesus shows his authority, not only like the, 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 the effects of death and, and the effects of sickness, but really the effect that the law had on those who were dead and those who were sick in this way. And Jesus shows his great authority over both. No, instead, the woman makes Jesus not unclean, but Jesus makes her whole. The corpse of the dead girl makes Jesus not unclean, but Jesus touches her and what? Brings her back to life. What an, what an incredible thing. We also see that this authority of Jesus is acknowledged in how these two individuals approach Jesus, namely in their faith in Christ's ability to intervene. So all throughout these two chapters, we see that Jesus responds to, acknowledges, and commits and commends great measures of faith doesn't he? Go throughout 8 and 9, and you see that, that over and over again, he's, he's acknowledging the faith of people. He, he, he interacts with a Roman guard who says, hey, in no one in Israel have I seen such great faith. Well, man, what a crazy thing for, for Jesus to say to a Gentile, right? Wouldn't, if you were like part of the, the covenant people of God, and, and then there's this one guy who, who is like outside of that community, and, and, and this guy who's claiming to be God says, hey, no one in all of Israel has such great faith. Never have I seen someone with such great faith. And so all throughout these chapters, Jesus commends 
great faith. And so, again, we often see Jesus respond in power despite small measures of faith, right? There's, there's, there's a man who even says to him in, uh, in Luke's gospel, I believe, help my unbelief. That's actually Mark 9. But there's a theme that we are to catch that people who are considered most unworthy are filled with great faith, and that faith is commended by Jesus. Those who are farthest out from the, the community of the covenant people of God are those who Jesus over and over again commends their faith. In fact, in, in, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 8, the disciples, he, he acknowledges that these men are of little faith, right? He acknowledges that these are of little faith. And so church family, this is, I've been praying about how do we, how do we address something that is very relevant in our culture and in our society as we, as we see that Jesus turns to this woman and says, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well, as he commends her faith. And so here's just something that I wanna take some time to, to talk about and to address on an, app, on, a, on an application level, knowing that as a, as a people living in this day and age with the resources that we have, that there is something very prominent, a kind of message that is very prominent that, that doesn't speak of faith and doesn't speak of great faith in a very high regard. Um, and so preaching, what we're doing up here, even though sometimes it feels like it, Preaching isn't only about robotically studying and presenting a text, but what preaching is is also about shepherding. You know that? Um, there's, there's many ways that we shepherd one another. There's many ways that pastors are called to shepherd. One of those ways that the Bible says that pastors shepherd is through teaching and preaching. And, and in the Bible, just so you know, there is a distinction, a, a very intentional distinction between teaching and preaching. In some cases, Paul tells some to teach. In fact, he tells elders that those who desire to be elders ought to be able to teach. And then in another place, he tells Timothy to preach the word. And they're two different words. They have distinct roles in the life of the people of God. And so one of the, one of the functions, one of the applications of preaching is shepherding our people and helping our people un to understand the gospel, uh, the things that we hear through the lens of the gospel. And so what I want to do right, right here is, is show that we don't preach here and then just shepherd out there, right? Like we don't just preach here in this little funnel thing, and then when we get out there, we do the work of shepherding, but that we, we preach, we shepherd through our preaching, and preaching is many things, and one of those things is preaching, and I would even say counseling. We would counsel people with the word. So having said that, there's a lesson for us in what we see as a recurring theme of great faith that is applicable to our day. And so, listen, I want to approach this with a lot of grace and a lot of care, okay? If you have, a, if you have an issue with it, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. Uh, email Thomas at thomas at ghokc.com, um, and he will be glad to answer your question. So listen, I want to approach this with both, both great care and great clarity, but also a lot of boldness, a, a, lot of, a lot of clarity on this. We live in a time culturally where it seems that there is greater virtue in doubt than in faith. So let me say that again, because if, if that line doesn't make sense, then 
that then maybe there's a different way that you've heard it. And so think about it for a second. That we live in a culture where greater virtue is given to doubt than to faith. Um, we, we must not consign a particular kind of vice to certainty and faith and not too strong of virtue to doubt and unbelief. You hear what I'm saying? So, so a, a very close friend of mine, I mean, I, I can tell you exactly who it is at a different time, a very close friend of mine who I have worked with in the past recently um, said something to the effect of the idol of certainty. And now, here's the deal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of give some, hopefully some nuance and some clarity to some of this. But, but certainty, great faith in something is not necessarily an idol. Having certainty in something. So Jesus, in this text, and all throughout these two chapters, Jesus commends and honors great faith. He honors great faith. He honors people for great faith. Look how he deals with the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus, Jesus, not, um, Jesus not only um, deals with the woman with the issue of blood, what does he do? He comforts her. He comforts this woman, but he restores her honor by acknowledging publicly the great faith that she has. She approaches him with great faith. And so here's what I, here's what I want us to see, that even though we live in a time where it seems that there's greater virtue in doubt than in faith, I, I want you to know, the way that I want to do this just personally and as a way of, of, of being authentic is that as one who has had more questions and maybe more doubts, over the last few years than ever before in my life, and there is bound to be more as I grow older. Some of you older people could attest to that, that some things, you know, some things that you maybe hold firm to at one time are things that you're like, man, I don't know. I certainly hope and I certainly believe that my ultimate acceptance before God is not dependent upon how great my faith is. Amen? Hey, God works in spite of weak faith sometimes. But Jesus in these two chapters over and over commends great faith. And, and so if, if my acceptance before God was dependent upon the strength or the, 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 the firmness of just how much of a faithful person I am, then as my grandpa would say, I would be up a creek, up a creek, up a creek for those of you not from Oklahoma. However, there is a particular virtue Today, if you read books, if you read articles, there's a particular kind of virtue that's consigned to great doubts, and there's a particular kind of vice consigned to certainty in our day and age. Have you noticed that? Hopefully what I'm saying is clear. This, this, is, this is not to say that all who deal on a deep level with doubts are not also exhibiting a great deal of faith despite those doubts, right? Have you ever dealt with doubts, and in those moments, you do feel like the Lord is gifting you with a particular level of faith in that moment. Man, this is hard. I don't understand this, but Lord, I have, that's why we read Psalm 13 at the beginning of today's service, because you've got kind of these two things side by side. You've got a, you've got a psalmist who is asking God the big questions. You've got a psalmist who, who, who is lamenting and may even be asking God some of these existential questions, but at the very end, what does he do? He speaks what is true and he says, but I will place my trust in you. I will, I will cling to you. And so again, I wanna say this. This is not to say that all who deal on a deep level with doubts 
are not also exhibiting a great deal of faith despite those doubts. But overall, overall, it seems not to be the case in most of the messages that you will hear today from folks who would call themselves Christians yet deny the authority of God's word and reject the goodness of God's design and would call a lot of things into doubt that God has said, this is the way it is. And so church family, we must not adopt this cultural mindset that, that doubt in and of itself is some kind of high virtue. Again, I'm trying to say this as lovingly as I can, and we must not adopt, um, we must not adopt this idea or to, um, that, 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 uh, that, virtue, that doubt and unbelief are somehow more virtuous. Again, Jesus commends great faith here, and he acknowledges little faith. Does he condemn in those moments of little faith? No, he does not condemn. And, and, and child of God, neither are you condemned in moments of weak faith. We've, we've got to stop acting like all of these different things that we suffer with and that we struggle with have something to do with our eternal acceptance before God. Can I just say that you are accepted before God because of the work that Christ has done for you? Amen? You are accepted before God because of the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. Now, that does not mean that God does not call us into deep levels of intimacy and fellowship with him. And so please hear what I'm saying, not as some way to gauge your assurance of acceptance before God, but maybe to just say, what does my fellowship and my intimacy with God look like in this season? And so I hope that we have a deep and profound sense of the authority and the ability of Jesus. I pray that we have a high view of the lordship of Jesus and his power over all things. And so in our unbelief, as happens in Mark 9, the boy's father prays, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I pray that we experience deeply the truth that even in our doubts, God will not abandon us, but also that God honors great faith. I pray that we understand that faith is a gift that God gives, and, that, and if that be the case, we have great confidence that God will do what he says he will do in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. Would you just go there? It's like a page back from where you are. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Let me just say this up front. This text is not about prosperity. It's not about financial resource. Um, it's not about your best life now. What this text is about is about a gracious father who's willing to give the things that he desires to give to us. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So struggling, doubting believer, can I encourage you this morning that if you are in that place, Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I also encourage you 
that Jesus says, if you are in a place where you need more of something that God desires to give, that you can ask him and that he will give it. Again, not about money, not about prosperity, but I believe it's about, I believe that that is a, a prayer of faith. I believe that's a prayer of, of, the, of, of, the, of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that God will, God will not hold back on those things that he desires to give to his children. And so it is in this text, I believe, that Jesus gives us a little bit on how to approach our times of need. In this context, our doubt and our need for the gift of faith. So like, what, is, what does all that mean, and, and how is all this playing out right now, and how do, we, how do we know that this is an issue? Well, because a lot of people are going to TikTok and Twitter to have their doubts resolved. A lot of people are going to TikTok and Twitter to confirm their doubts. And as, as one of my professor, professors said, he's like, put down TikTok and go read a book by someone who's older than 35 years old. And you might be in a good, read the Bible. But God has given us good grace and giving us good books as well. We're going to TikTok, we're going to Twitter to confirm the doubts that we have. Man, and it's just like a, there's, there's just a way for us to just kind of gather what we want to hear. And there's a way to, to formulate for ourselves theology even. That are, that are leading people into really dark places. And so it's not by going to TikTok and Twitter that your faith is restored and that your confidence in a God who will give you more faith will come. But where Jesus says to go is to your heavenly Father who will willingly and graciously supply all things. And so, doubting believer, hey, may you find community. Will, would, would that you would be able to find people who would walk with you in that? Um, one of the things that TikTok and Twitter, I don't want to keep coming back to this. One of the things that TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube give us this illusion of is that we're part of this global community. Can I just tell you, you're not. You are more isolated than ever in that dark, black, endless hole. And the more that we isolate ourselves and we not lean into the community of people that God has given to us, the more despair that we will fall into. And so I, I know I'm taking a whole lot of time on this, but I, I think there's something really significant about this, this woman with the issue of blood coming to Jesus in her need says she has spent everything she had. She was at the end of her rope and that Jesus honors her in front of people by commending her faith. What a beautiful thing. So believer, if you're doubting or if you're wrestling with these things, man, may you find a community of people here who will walk with you, who will counsel you. Can I say something that also isn't popular? I believe that more of us should operate, um, we should operate more as counselors than we do the church family. We have the word of God. I believe there's a place and a time for counseling and therapy to address some things that I may not be able to, but can I just say, if you're in a community group, you ought to be counseling and loving one another with the word of God. And there are, there are times when we are seeking things from all kinds of places and we've not at one time come to God's word or to the people of God. 
Um, also, what the word tells us is in those moments to pray. A lot of times what doubts and all of these distractions drive us into is more activity and less, prayer, and, and less prayerfulness. I, I did not articulate all of that as well as I wanted to. I did not articulate that in, in as quite of a shepherding way and articulate way as I had hoped. But I said a little bit ago about the interruptions. That this is kind of a planned interruption. That I just actually want to take time now to pray, to pray for one another. Hey, those of you who are in your seats, maybe you've, maybe you've heard this and like you, you feel invigorated to a point where you're just like, yeah, I'm gonna take it to all those social media people and go comment on all of the TikTok thing. Can I just tell you, your first instinct is to pray for the person beside you. Let's pray for that person beside us who, who may be in this season of, of doubt, of despair, of struggle. And then, believer, if that's you, would you go to maybe someone who you trust and say, I'm dealing with this and I would love prayer. I would love to ask the Lord and I've never done so to, to give me faith in this area where I have not leaned into him. Can we do that? Can we pray? Let's, let's do that. I'm gonna leave it for about a minute and it's gonna be a lot of awkward silence and then I'll pray. Our Father, we thank you that the, that the terms of our relationship with you in the realm of prayer is that of a Father in heaven who wants to hear from us, um, who listens, who responds, who knows. Um, your word teaches us that. Jesus clearly says that you are, you are in heaven um, but that the way that we approach you is not one who is fearful, not one who is timid, uh, but as a, as a loving father who is eager to respond and as Jesus will go on to teach, who is eager to give good gifts because you are a, a good father. We thank you that um, in Christ there is now no condemnation. So we rejoice in that. So Lord, would you help us? Would you help us in this, in this time, in this day and age to deal with our doubts and our disbelief in the way that the scriptures teach us? Thank you that you don't abandon us in those moments. Thank you that you do not condemn us in those moments. But Lord, we also need your help applying the word 
of God to those moments when we have far too often sought the wisdom and the counsel and the advice and the lies of the world. And so we pray, Lord, that in this, that, Lord, we would be people of, of great faith. It's, it's, a, it's, it's almost a weird thing to say because of how much our culture has, has tied things into that. But, Lord, we, we see very plainly in this text that you commend it. So we ask that we would be people of great faith and where we lack faith that we would ask for it um, and that we would experience the grace and the supply that you give. It's in your name that we pray, amen. So we have the ability of Jesus, the ability of Jesus to heal, um, to, to Christ is able for you to place your trust in him. He is worthy of that. And then we see the last thing is the approachability of Jesus. So we not only see the ability of Jesus to heal, we not only see the ability of Jesus to resurrect, we not only see the ability of Jesus to respond to all measures of faith, both weak and strong, but also we see that Jesus is approachable. And so another theme of these chapters is the approachability of Jesus. And we see all kinds of approaches, right? We see that there are those who approach Jesus as judges to put Jesus on trial, as ultimately they will do. Remember, I mean, you got these guys around the paralytic in the beginning of chapter nine. There's like, what, what is, who has the authority to, to forgive but God alone? So you've got different people approaching Jesus, and then you have those who approach Jesus that we've been talking about in faith, as the two in this text do. So Jairus, despite his influence, approaches Jesus by what? Kneeling before him. Now, a lot of people have said, well, is, he, is it true faith or not? We don't know, and I think that it's safe to assume that it is, because it doesn't tell us anything different, especially because um, there is somewhat of a, of a contrast between the people in the section before who are asking Jesus about why do we fast and the Pharisees fast, and yet this spiritual leader doesn't ask any questions. He just comes and he kneels before Christ. He kneels before him. And so he's displaying a, a measure of faith in Jesus' ability to raise his daughter. And then this nameless woman who, again, Mark says spent all that she had um, on medical help and was no better, but was worse. She takes what it seems like one more shot at just touching the robe of Jesus, that if I will just touch the fringe of his garment. One commentator says that, this, uh, that at this point in the woman's life, she was no better off socially than the dead girl was physically. Socially, this woman was in the same standing as this girl was in a physical stance, uh, posture. She had nothing left. She was, she was socially dead, just as this little girl, Jairus' daughter, was physically dead. So she approached Jesus with nothing to lose and nothing to offer. And church, I want us to see the marvelous, wonderful grace of Jesus here, that Jesus is not only willing to have his power magnified in curing her, but he is just as concerned with having his grace magnified in her comfort. He is not merely wanting to display his power, because he could have just, it, Mark says that she touched and he felt power go out from him and she was healed. He, he literally, from what we understand from the text, could have kept on going, and she would have been healed, she would have been fine, but what does Jesus do? He turns, and he acknowledges her when he did not have to, showing us that Jesus was not only concerned with displaying his power, but displaying his grace, because 
This kind of Jesus is the one that we can have faith in, one that will not only display his great power in your life time and time again, but will continually shower you with his grace. And so in the case of the little girl, Jesus shows us both his power over death and his power in resurrection, but also a picture of how grace works in our lives. What does it say? Look what, look what it says. Um, which, which verse is this? <clears throat> it, may be, it may be in, uh, in Luke's, uh, Mark or Luke's account. It says that he took her by the hand. Somebody have that? In, in Matthew 9? Which verse? There it is. I knew, I knew that it was there. But when, he, but when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And so what Jesus is doing here is showing us not only his power and resurrection, but also a picture of how grace works in our lives in taking her by the hand. Spiritually, this is how grace is applied to us, church family. This is, this is what we believe about the grace that we receive from God, that our souls are not raised to spiritual life unless Christ takes us by the hand. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has for us made us alive together with him. That just as Jesus physically reached out his hand to the little girl and raised her to life, so Jesus does for us when we are spiritually awakened to him. And this is a, a beautiful picture of this. I want us to just see that Jesus is not only concerned with displaying his power through us, but displaying his great grace in us. What a, what a beautiful truth that we have, that Jesus has the authority over death. He has the authority to forgive sins. And he has done, church family, if, if you are a child of God, he has performed that miracle in you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you where your word is clear, um, even, where, even when man's is not. Um, thank you that your uh, spirit convicts um, and not, the, not the, the abilities or the words of, of man. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would be greatly encouraged, greatly challenged, greatly reminded of the power that you have over sin and over death um, and how worthy you are um, for us to, to place our faith in. And in those moments where our faith is weak, Lord, the prayer of Mark 9 is, I believe, but help my unbelief. What an example for us um, that there is a source to, to where we can turn when we lack faith. And that in that moment of weak faith, we are not condemned, we are not shunned, but Lord, we are lavishly and graciously supplied so, Lord, help us. Help us to be a people marked by grace. Help us to be a people marked by um, the, the truth of your word, um, that we would be a people who are able to, to walk with those um, who, are, who are weak in the faith, those, those who have strong faith. Lord, we, we, we have that, that honor and that privilege as the people of God to walk with people in, in, in both lanes. Um, and we do not have the privilege, Lord, to just ignore it, um, or to, to abdicate um, that which you have called us to within the family of God. And so help us, Lord, to, to bear with, with uh, those who 
um, who lack faith and to, and to learn and to glean from those who have great faith. Um, and we just ask you, Lord, um, that you would, again, remind us that you supply in a very gracious way that doesn't hold back. We praise you and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.